The Bazaar is a podcast that deals with mature subject matter that some listeners may find offensive or upsetting. The Bazaar is not recommended for any listeners under 18 years of age. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome to The Bazaar. Welcome back to The Bazaar. I am your host, Alicia Grek. This is a podcast called The Bazaar, and it is about all things bizarre. We are talking ghosts, monsters, unsolved mysteries, serial killers, and who knows what else. Let's get freaky up in here with all those uncomfortable things. I am feeling spunky today. I am feeling energized. It's probably because I've had so much espresso today. It's just coursing through my veins like some kind of fuel. Information for today's episode comes from Netflix and Wikipedia. Today, we are going to be talking about the kitten killer, Luca Magnata. If you have not watched the Netflix documentary, don't F with cats, and you would like to watch that documentary, don't listen to this episode just yet, as it will contain heavy spoilers. Stop now if you've seen it. But if you have watched that documentary, oh my god, oh my god, thank you to my friend, you know who you are, for the recommendation of this documentary. It was really intense, really graphic. It gave me the nightmares for a solid week after I watched it, but it was important. It gave a very terrifying glimpse into this monster of a human being, and the horrible things that he did, and not too long ago, either. Luca Rocco Magnata was born Eric Clinton Kirk Newman on July 24th of 1982 in Scarborough, Ontario, the son of Anna Yorkin and Donald Newman. He was the first of three children. According to him, his mother was obsessed with cleanliness, would routinely lock her children out of the house, and once put her children's pet rabbits out in the cold to freeze to death. His father was diagnosed with schizophrenia in 1994, after which he divorced Magnata's mother, leading Magnata to move in with his grandmother, Phyllis. Luca Magnata attended IE Weldon Secondary School in Lindsay, Ontario. In 2003, he began to appear in pornographic movies, occasionally working as a stripper and a sex worker. He also appeared as a pinup model in the 2005 issue of Toronto's Fab magazine, using the pseudonym Jimmy. In 2007, he was an unsuccessful competitor in OutTV's reality series Cover Guy. He had multiple cosmetic surgeries and auditioned for the Slice Network television show Plastic Makes Perfect in February of 2008. Sorry, there was just so much going on there with this guy's background. Personally, I can guarantee that plastic does not make perfect, and this guy looks like a terrifying Ken doll. Anyways, anyways, I'm not here to scrutinize. He clearly had a lot of things going on. Like in 2005, he was convicted of one count of impersonation and three counts of fraud after impersonating a woman to apply for a credit card and purchasing over $10,000 worth of goods. He ultimately pleaded guilty and received a nine-month conditional sentence with 12 months probation. He legally changed his name to Luca Rocco Magnata on August 12th of 2006. Luca Magnata declared bankruptcy in March of 2007, owing over $17,000 in various debts. 
During this time, Luca Magnata created many profiles on various internet social media forums and discussion forums over several years to plant a variety of claims about himself, written by himself. Like he was his own hype squad on the internet, which is, you kind of got to give him a little bit of credit for that. Like that takes a lot of skill and a lot of time. He would switch between his main account and other supplementary accounts to comment really nice things as other people on his photos, on his statuses, etc. During this time of wild rumors that he was dating Madonna and he was like an international model, none of which are true, one such rumor emerged in 2007 claiming that Luca Magnata was in a relationship with Carla Homolka, a high-profile Canadian convicted murderer although he denied this in an interview with the Toronto Sun following that statement. During the murder investigation, Montreal police initially announced that the pair had dated, but soon retracted the statement and acknowledged that they had no evidence to corroborate that claim. So we really have no idea of whether or not Carla Homolka and Luca Magnata actually dated at some point. Here is a terrifying fact that seems impossible to just breeze over. Police had found that Luca Magnata had set up at least 70 Facebook pages and 20 websites under different names. Unsurprisingly, here is where things get worse. Jun Lin, also known as Justin Lin to friends, was an international student and an undergraduate in the engineering and computer science faculty at Concordia University. He worked part-time as a convenience store clerk in Point St. Charles. Lynn had been studying in Montreal since July of 2011. He was a really hardworking student and a good friend to those who knew him. Lynn moved to the Griffintown area apartment with a roommate on May 1st. Jun Lynn was last seen on a surveillance camera entering his apartment building at 5720 Declary Boulevard on the night of May 24th, 2012. He was last seen on May 24th, 2012 when he and his friends reported getting a text message from his phone at 9 p.m. His boss became suspicious when he didn't show up for his shift the next day, which was very unlike him. Three of his friends went to his apartment on May 27th. He was officially reported missing to the police on May 29th. On May 25th of 2012, an 11-minute video titled One Lunatic, One Ice Pick was uploaded to bscore.com. Best score? I'm so sorry. It's bestgore.com. I don't know. I can't tell you why that website exists. Anyways, in this video, there was a naked male tied to a bed frame, being repeatedly stabbed with an ice pick and a kitchen knife, then dismembered, followed by acts of necrophilia. The perpetrator uses a knife and a fork to cut off some flesh and then gets a dog to chew on the body. In the documentary, they actually show um, bits of this video, obviously before the real awful things happen that are sickening to even describe to you, but it's terrifying to see that this video is still, it exists out there somewhere in cyberspace. In the background, the New Order song True Faith plays, and a poster of the 1942 film Casablanca is visible on the wall. Canadian authorities have obtained a more extensive version of the video and said cannibalism may have been performed, but that's not an official statement. On May 26th, an attorney from Montana attempted to report the video to the Toronto police, 
his local sheriff, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, but the report was dismissed by officials. Bestcore viewers also attempted to report the video. Police later confirmed that it was authentic and identified the victim, an Asian male, and the same one whose body parts were later sent to Ottawa. At 11 a.m. on May 29th of 2012, a package containing a left foot was delivered to the national headquarters of the Conservative Party of Canada. The package was stained with blood and had a foul smell. It was marked with a red heart symbol. A second package was intercepted by Canada Post in a process facility addressed to the Liberal Party. A janitor discovered a decomposing torso inside of a suitcase, left in a garbage pile in the alley behind an apartment building in the Snowdon area of Montreal. He first saw the suitcase on May 25th, but it was not picked up due to the large amount of garbage that day. The murder took place at 270 Declarie Boulevard. If you're thinking that address sounds familiar, then good you've been paying attention. Oh boy, okay. After searching the scene, police recovered human remains, bloody clothes, papers identifying the suspect, as well as sharp and blunt objects from the back alley. Footage from surveillance cameras inside the building showed a suspect bringing numerous garbage bags outside, and the images matched the suspect who was captured on video at the post office previously. At 11.33 p.m., police searched apartment 208, which Magnata was renting. He'd moved in four months before, and his rent was paid up till June 1st. The apartment had been mostly emptied before he left but blood was found on different items, including the mattress, the refrigerator, the table, and the bathtub. Inside of a closet, a very, very disturbing message was found. If you don't like the reflection, don't look in the mirror. I don't care. Was written in red ink. On May 30th of 2012, it was confirmed that the body parts belonged to the same individual later identified as Jun Lin. Following that, the suspect in the case was quickly identified as Magnata, who had then fled into nowhere. A note was found on the package sent to the Conservative Party, saying six body parts had been distributed and the perpetrator would kill again. The other three packages also contained notes, but their contents are undisclosed by police, who cited their concerns about possible copycat crimes. On June 5th of 2012, a package containing a right foot was delivered to St. George's School, and another package containing a right hand was delivered to False Creek Elementary School in Vancouver, British Columbia. It was confirmed that both of these packages were also sent from Montreal. Now, I couldn't find this information anywhere, and I don't think they mentioned it in the documentary, but I wonder what the significance of the mailing locations were of these body parts if they did have any significance to him, or if he just picked random locations. Like, he started out with a very heavy political move, mailing it to the Conservative Party, and then he mails it to an elementary school in Vancouver. And from what I know, he's never been to Vancouver. Anyways, it's just something I think about. I'm like, no detective by any means. Maybe he was just a complete psychopath who decided to mail body parts to random people in the mail. On June 13th, the four limbs and the torso were matched to Lin using DNA samples from his family. On July 1st, his head was recovered after an anonymous tip to police. Lin's body was cremated on July 11th, 
and his ashes were buried on July 26th at Notre Dame de Genèse Cemetery in Montreal. Quick interjection and side note, I know that I'm Canadian and it's great to be Canadian, but let me tell you, I know zero French. The school system has failed me, and so my pronunciations of everything French in this episode are going to be just painful. I'm super sorry. This is an official arrest warrant for Magnata. One, first degree murder, committing an indignity to a dead body, publishing obscene material, mailing obscene, indecent, immoral, or circulous material, and criminally harassing the Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper at the time and several other unnamed members of Parliament. That is quite the laundry list of offenses. Obviously, the first and most shocking and most horrible being first-degree murder. On May 31st of 2012, Interpol issued a red notice for Magnata at the request of the Canadian authorities, and for several days before and after his arrest, his name and photo were displayed prominently at the top of the homepage of the Interpol website. The red notice requested that Magnata be arrested pending extradition back to Canada by Interpol members of state. Magnata booked a ticket for a flight from Montreal to Paris on May 25th using a passport under his own name, which leaves a giant trail of breadcrumb crumb. Oh my gosh, you guys, I cannot talk today. What I was trying to say very eloquently and coolly was that using his own passport with his own name left a trail of breadcrumbs for authorities to follow him. Woohoo! Loving 2020 so far. Okay, okay, okay. Back to our story. After his arrival in France, his cell phone signal was traced to a hotel in Bagnolet, and he had left by the time police arrived. Pornographic magazines and an air sickness bag were found in the hotel room. Magnata then used a fake passport with the name Kirk Trammell in the hotel. He had contacts in Paris from a previous visit in 2010, and police were following a large framed man who had been in contact with Magnata. Another man he'd stayed with for two weeks did not realize who he was until he had left. Magnata then boarded a Eurolines bus at the Bagnolet coach station bound for Berlin, Germany. On June 4th of 2012, Magnata was finally apprehended by Berlin police at an internet cafe while reading news stories about himself. He was caught reading news stories about himself. That is the most vain thing I've ever heard. I mean, if it wasn't already in our heads that he's the worst human being ever, like, this just reinforces the fact. This is the shitty cherry on top of him being the worst person ever. Magnata appeared in Berlin court on June 5th of 2012. According to German officials, he did not oppose his extradition. There was sufficient evidence to keep him in custody until extradition, and he agreed to a simplified process. When Luca Magnata got back into Canada, he needed a military escort. Everybody was dying to get their hands on this monster. Afterwards, he was placed into solitary confinement in the Riviere de Paris, de Prieres detention center. It is a detention center in Montreal. I'm very sorry, Quebec. I cannot do this right. On June 21st, Luca Magnata appeared in person at a high-security Montreal courtroom to request trial by jury. 
A preliminary hearing began on March 11th of 2013. The evidence presented is subject to a publication ban. Magnata's defense team requested that the media and the public be barred entirely from the hearing, but this was declined. Jun Lin's father traveled from China to attend the hearing. On March 13th, one of Magnata's lawyers resigned due to a conflict of interest. Expert witnesses testified, including a forensic pathologist, a forensic toxicologist, a forensic ontologist, a bloodstain analyst, a data recovery specialist, and internet investigations officers. As if they didn't have enough overwhelming evidence against him, the prosecution also displayed video evidence. Finally, on April 12th of 2013, Luca Magnata was found guilty of all counts. Luca Magnata will serve a mandatory life sentence and will be eligible for parole in 25 years. He was also sentenced to 19 years for the other charges, to be served concurrently. Magnata filed an appeal for the convictions to be annulled and a new trial ordered. The appeal was filed with the Quebec Court of Appeals by Magnata's defense counsel, citing judicial error in jury instruction. The appeal further claimed that the verdicts are unreasonable and unsupported by the evidence and the instructions. I don't know what evidence they saw, but that is not true. Deciding that this was ultimately not a good move, Luca Magnata withdrew his appeal on February 18th of 2015. During his trial for murder, Magnata's defense provided evidence that Luca Magnata had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia as a teenager. Defense expert Dr. Joel Watts testified that Magnata showed signs of episodic schizophrenia, hysteronic personality disorder, borderline personality traits, and paraphilia, not otherwise specified. The prosecution revealed that Magnata had been using illegal drugs during his teenage years, which led to symptoms that mimicked schizophrenia, and that Magnata had been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder by the Crown expert Dr. Joel Paris at the Jewish General Hospital in Montreal in April of 2012. A large number of psychiatrists over the years have noted that Magnata displayed antisocial, borderline, hysteronic, and narcissistic traits. The prosecution accused Magnata of pretending to be schizophrenic, since his defense immediately diminished responsibility. Today, he is currently imprisoned at Archambault Institution in Quebec. I know you're probably wondering by now, why is he called the Kitten Killer? I mean, you wouldn't be wondering that if you watched the documentary, but I will explain. And I don't like talking about animal cruelty at all, so this makes me super uncomfortable. The reason Luca Magnata is called the kitten killer is because he's alleged to be the person, and I say alleged air quotes like this is totally him, behind a series of videos of animal cruelty involving cats, which were posted to YouTube in the beginning of 2010, including one titled One Boy, Two Kittens, which showed a man deliberately suffocating two kittens with a vacuum cleaner. The Magnata case drew comparisons across North America to Mark Twitchell, a convicted murderer inspired by Dexter, who used social media in his crimes to self-promote his work. Netflix announced a three-part documentary series on Magnata and the group of people on the internet who helped track him down. The Netflix documentary titled Don't F With Cats, Hunting an Internet Killer, directed by Mark Lewis, premiered on December 18th, 2019. Thank you so much for stopping by The Bazaar today fresh off of watching the documentary and going through all of this information after 
copious amounts of coffee, I feel super gross, super negative, and I really just want to take a nap. It's been a very hard documentary to watch and rewatch. Who looks at true crime all the time who would think that I have an issue with this, but I found it deeply upsetting to engage with. I need to go watch a Disney movie or some crap reality TV. I need a distraction, so if you have any good distractions you would like to recommend, please do so. As always, please rate and review. We are on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, as well as other streaming platforms. Episodes come out every Friday, so make sure your notifications are on for that. Also, please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Bizarre Pod. As always, stay safe. Peace out, nerds.